a lot of pressure, a lot of talk. So now we are in the final and i think yes we are recording hello welcome to pod bn tyson justin and steve here to chat a little bit uh how are you how are you guys holding up this fine july afternoon doing awesome yeah hanging in there man yeah. Not, not too bad, yeah. I'm just so bummed that there's not fireworks tomorrow. I didn't realize how much I look forward to fireworks every year. And it's... You can go to no- normal corn cribs having them. Oh, they are? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. after baseball. Uh, tonight and tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Nice. That's good to know. I um I bought some in Indiana when I came back from a camping trip. You know, there's like that big, that big uh, you know, warehouse on 74 that's like, oh. you know, the... Is this an admission of guilt, Tyson? Is it? Well, I, I was gonna, I was gonna shoot him off because I thought maybe we would be like, okay, let's turn the other way. But then I think the police have been pretty adamant that that's not the attitude that they're taking. And um, and then also, if I had any doubt, a friend of mine, his uncle was setting up a display somewhere, and something went wrong, and he blew his left hand off, Yikes. like at the wrist. Um, so I feel like the universe is sending me signs that I just need to eat that cost of those fireworks and not, uh, and not indulge at at this time. I've never been, I've never been a fireworks guy. Like, I don't mind seeing them in a distance, but like ever going to like Miller park or or Fairview or something like, I don't know. I I never understood the attraction. Not your thing. Yeah. Yeah. So where I grew up, um, the tradition in the Netherlands and Germany, the tradition is on New Year's, everyone shoots off fireworks like from their houses. And so I did that for my whole childhood. And uh, it's you can see videos of it online. It's absolutely insane. It's like the whole place is like the whole city's blowing up. And um, actually, one of my one of my memory from my childhood was in um, January 1, 2000, because, you know, we all thought maybe like the whole world was going to shut down because of Y2K. And I was up on a hill overlooking my city, and I was like, okay, let's see what happens at midnight. Is everything going to shut off? And then, like, everything just sort of erupted in fireworks. And I was like, okay, we're going to be all right. So I, <laughs> oh, good. It's just bombs exploding. It's just bombs, yeah. <laughs> so that was normal to me at the time and is normalized. But the more I think about it, I'm like, that's really not the best idea for just people to be doing. Like, it's... Um, as I, as I grow older, I, I think like, yeah, the stuff we did with, um, with fireworks was not a good idea. So, <laughs> so I would say I, I've, I've come and officially have evolved to the point where I would encourage, discourage people from, from doing their fireworks and, uh, and pros, yeah, yeah, go over the corn crib. So, so I guess that's one COVID adjustment as we're reopening. Are you, uh, you guys noticing anything else opening back up that you're particularly happy about? I think most things are starting to open in some degree, at least, right? Uh, which is nice just to get a little bit back to normalcy. Um, you still have, like, the masks and the arrows on the floor and all that kind of stuff. But um, the arrows on the floor is what throws me for the biggest loop. That's what I just cannot get used to. Like, I always catch myself going the wrong direction in every store I go to. <laughs> or, or like you walk and grab something and you forgot something you got to turn around you're like do i have to can I, can I go back or do i have to go all the way around yeah, yeah. i'm not I, I i have not been sure how to navigate that either you know if i if i just need one thing from an aisle to 
I what I what I usually end up doing is just parking my cart on the end and then just walking to get that one thing. But yeah, it's it you know it, we just kind of threw these random rules out and no one <laughs> no one knows what they look like in practice and uh, that that's one example well, of it. And, yeah, and like I can understand the arrows if you're in a place that is like you know pushing capacity a lot. But like yeah. I would. I went to get shoes the other day and there's like four people in this like 5,000 square foot place. And I got to follow these arrows. Just didn't seem right. Yeah. It does seem to me like the spirit of it is if it's crowded, use these arrows. If not, don't worry about them. Um, or you can do what I do. Like if you're in the grocery store and someone's walking in the direction of the arrows and you want to walk in the opposite direction, you just like stare them right in the eyes and start breathing real heavy. So your mask flares out and then, <laughs> and then they usually stop and let you go. That's my technique. So, um, just kidding. It does seem like people on the whole here are uh, going by the guidance, though. Maybe yeah, like so. 80, 80%, 90%-ish, somewhere yeah. around there. It's it's fun. It's funny to me to kind of observe. Like, I've all, since it started, I've always said, you know, if Illinois is indeed, which it, which it was definitely early on, being one of the most strictest states, and as long as I'm following their guidelines, I feel good about doing anything that's within those guidelines. But there's people on both ends of the spectrum that, of course, you know, the very vocal, like, this is all a conspiracy theory and I'm not going to follow any of these things. But then there's also the, the other side of it that's, like, want to be more strict than the state guidelines even, um, which is, uh, to me, I mean, it just equals the, the same amount of fear or, or extremism as the other side. Um, I'm going to follow the guidelines, and if it says I can do it, I'm going to do it because um, I'm bored and I think it's good for mental health too. But... Right. Yeah. And they're, they're, you know, we can always move backwards if we need to. Uh, you know, yeah. we're seeing that several other places right now where, um, you know, they, they're getting an actual second wave. But things have improved since the very beginning here in Illinois. So, you know, I, I and especially in McLean County, uh, you know, we had uh, I think it was four cases uh, from yesterday, four new cases. That was the first time we've had more than one or two in weeks. Uh, we've been doing a really good job here. So. You know, if if it gets to the point where we need to move backwards, then yeah, move backwards. But for the for right now, I think we're trending in the right direction, and we're able to safely do some of the things that are listed in phase four. So, so Steve, you being the uh, for those of you who don't know, Steve's a ninety-two-nine uh, radio host. I have not caught your show yet, Steve. I don't spend much time in the car anymore. But, well, uh, it, I, I'll tell you, this is um, this is a little different, and I, I, I am happy to be here in a, a non-official capacity. You know, I and I, I don't want to say that I'm not myself when I'm on the air on cities because I definitely am. Uh, but there may be things that I choose to talk about on my radio show uh, that I uh, wouldn't talk about here, and things that I might talk about here that I wouldn't choose to talk about on my radio show, just because I know who the audiences of of each of those places are. So. I'm, I'm yeah. happy to have I'm happy to have a platform that's not uh, rigid. So, yeah, sure, man. Whatever you want to talk about, um, <laughs> you know, Justin and I got similar things. I, what I say to people is like, hey, if you want to talk about State Farm, you can talk about State Farm. I I I like podcasting, but I really like my job. So I'm not going to say anything that messes <laughs> with that. You know, yeah, so sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I was kind of curious from your vantage point, um, you know, if I can pigeonhole you into the conservative guy, um, you know, what's there, there seems to be more resistance from the right. Where do you think, uh, you know, from your view, what, which of that seems to be, you know, well-founded skepticism and, um, what, what, when does it venture into sort of the conspiracy theory type stuff? Sure. Um, well, I, I wouldn't, 
first, I wouldn't consider myself a conservative nor from the right. Um, and we can get into we can get really deep into like political compass stuff and things like that. But, yeah. you know, I I would say that I'm generally um, I'm generally put into that box because I come from a libertarian perspective, uh, which a lot of people see as being close to that perspective. But it really depends on which issues you're talking about. Um, so my perspective on this, and, and there are certainly people who, you're right, have gone down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories and, you know, COVID's fake or it came out of a lab from China and it's a bioterrorism attack. Oh, you know, there's all sorts of different stuff floating around out there. My perspective on this is that COVID is, is definitely real. It's definitely a problem and it's definitely serious. All those three things are true. Um, the question is, how do we solve that problem or how do we deal with it? And um, from my perspective, I, I, in my opinion, I think going after, uh, going after people for not following guidelines with the threat of the law is not the appropriate way to handle that. I think government should provide educational tools. They should provide information. They should say, this is what we suggest you do, given the seriousness of the situation. Um, but I don't think that uh, penalty of law should uh, should be instituted for people who don't follow those recommendations. Um, life people is who walk the wrong, people who walk down the wrong arrow. <laughs> yeah, who don't do the right arrow. Uh, yeah. But in in more you know serious uh, terms, you know, folks who who may have decided I'm going to keep my store open, uh, even though the state told me not to. Um, so things like that, and you know, there's a discussion there whether okay, these people are putting putting others in danger in that in that sense. Um, but it's not like you're required to be a customer of that that venue that decided to stay open. So life's full of, of, uh, risk every single day. And we have to weigh those risks and decide what's appropriate for us. And you know, what's appropriate for me might not be appropriate for uh, someone who's older, someone who may have a preexisting condition or something like that. So that, that's really where my perspective is on it. I, I think government should provide an educational role, but, uh, not mandate, uh, very much in, in this instance. That's something that I would probably agree with you on in most cases, but specific to COVID when you can, you know, the, the person that goes and visits the restaurant that decides to stay open and then they go grocery shopping next to somebody that, can, I mean, it's just, there's so many layers of these uh, levels of these things where, you know, if you know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that came in contact with something that it could be passed along, um, that it is a public health situation. Um, where they decided to close the blisters. Now, I'm not advocating to go arresting business owners, um, but you know, I, the channels that I've seen, at least locally, have been appropriate, in my opinion. Um, you know, going through the health department and having them send letters that say, "Hey, we told you, don't do this because it's a public health situation." Um, I mean, I think those are appropriate because you know, I'm, I'm going to use Pizza Ranch as an example because that was the one that, that's the one that sticks out in my mind, and mainly the one in Peoria, not Bloomington, but. Uh, Because I think they got more press. But, you know, if someone decides to go to Pizza Ranch and eat lunch and then they go to the grocery store and they touch something and then I touch that and then I go see my mother who, you know, is is older and like all those things that can happen uh, with this specific uh, virus is why I think it was appropriate to do that kind of mandatory shutdown. Yeah, it's hard in 
American culture being so individualistic on the whole, it's really hard to balance all that. And um, other cultures where there's more of like a awareness of social responsibility, like I think in a lot of Asian cultures, um, you know, where wearing masks is very normal for them and they see it as a courtesy for other people where in America, something that <clears throat> something that's not like to protect your own self, you know, I don't need a mask to protect myself. I'm willing to take the risk. But if someone says, well, you're, putting other people in danger, it's a little harder for that to compute across the general culture. Um, you know, that being said, I feel like the, I've been pleasantly surprised here with how much adoption there's been of just the recommendations and that that question hasn't really been called heavily. Like there haven't been a lot of businesses just saying, no, we refuse and we're doing it anyway. And then try to see how the legal system works. So and I, I, and I think it, like, I'm sorry, it's an extremely complex issue. So like, I'm not definitely, to, I'm not trying yeah. to simplify it and say, Oh, oh yeah, neither am I. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I understand the frustration of the business owners too. Um, you know, especially with the way that you see the box stores staying open, like the hard, big hardware stores, big grocery stores, why can't you go there, but you can't go to the small business. Yeah. I, legitimate points. I mean, the real answer is because they're supposed to be bigger and spaced out more, but if you go visit it, that's not the case. So that just adds to the frustration. Right. Um, and it seemed counterproductive uh, at the time. You know, now everything's open with capacity limits, but sure. at the time, uh, we were sending the entire population to a handful <laughs> right. of stores. Uh, so, you know, I, I understand that, you know, the, the places that had bigger square footage uh, were quote unquote safer, but not when you're stuffing everyone into the same seven <laughs> places. So right, um, yeah. I, it, I think, I think the reason uh, some of these things didn't work and there was so much, there was frustration from so many people is because we were totally unprepared for what happened. Yeah. Um, we had, totally. we had, we had to figure out solutions in a matter of uh, days and some of those solutions were probably good. And some of them uh, we probably could have handled better. And, and, you know, hopefully uh, this, you know, you don't get a test run with this, right? You figure it out on the fly, and you know the next time something like this happens, we we might be more prepared to put in put in some solutions that um, will work a little better. At least next time, we're all going to already own masks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's actually a, the mask thing is interesting because um, I heard I, I heard it. I can't remember if it was a radio or just in conversation the other day that like masks are just going to become the norm in America, uh, even if this virus kind of gets a. You know, if we get a, a solution for that specific virus, that we're just going to start seeing masks in the winter time during flu season and that type of thing, because as a result of this, do you guys think that's going to happen? I struggle to see how I can get there. Maybe I need different masks, but <clears throat> the ones I've tried, I just I feel like I can't breathe fully. Like I after a half hour in a place, I start feeling like claustrophobic and things. So maybe I'll get used to it over time. But personally, I. I struggle with that. Now, if I, <clears throat> if that becomes the norm and I'm like, you know, the outsider, maybe that social pressure will help encourage me to keep doing it. Um, it, it seems like here in McLean County, when we're so spread out and there's not like the subways and the shoulder to shoulder walking through cities, bumping into people, I just, I don't really see it. I can see in a Chicago, maybe like a, you know, really dense area. Mm-hmm. Well, you yeah. have to keep in mind, Tyson, that, uh, you know, as and we've already seen this a little bit, uh, mask technology is getting better and people are getting better masks that will allow them to easier or uh, more easily uh, wear them in different situations. 
Uh, we're seeing masks be made for different situations. You know, there are formal ones now that you, you know, are mm, meant, for, yeah. meant for the workplace, that type Little of thing. tuxedos on them, right? Right, yeah. right. And then some people have the gator, the gators now that you pull up over, over your face, which uh, to me, I, I enjoy the gator more than I do a, uh, a mask. I think it's more convenient and more comfortable, but, uh, and also, you know, uh, just, Justin specifically mentioned, you know, we might see it as a regular thing in the winter during flu season. Well, uh, you know, the winter might be a much easier time for people to accommodate that thing just cause it's not as hot. I mean, I, I know personally yeah. wearing a mask when it's 90 degrees out, isn't the uh, most fun thing in the world. So, yeah, yeah I, I saw in some locations, um, I haven't seen this here locally, but they're requiring masks inside gyms since gyms have been allowed to open. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know how you do that, man. Oh That's, my god! Like I've been back to the gym since Phase Four open, and I can't imagine wearing a mask. I mean, it's yeah. usually hot in a gym anyway. Even if you're not working out, it's hot in the gym. So, especially with the humidity right now, is another thing too. Like yeah. it can already be hard to breathe without a mask sometimes. If when it's ninety degrees, ninety percent humidity, you know. So, but I still yeah. think uh, on the topic of mask, I still think um, I will always side on this. It's not that big of an inconvenience if it saves somebody else. Um, so that's just. Like, like people have asked me, you know, do you think the masks work? I'm like, I'm not a doctor. I have no idea if the masks work, but I know if it makes the person next to me feel a little better, then I'll be happy to wear it while I'm going to the grocery store. Yeah. To me, it's such a strange hill to die on. Like it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's just a small, tiny little, uh, you know, thing that you're giving up, uh, you know, whether it works or not, it's, it's the tiniest inconvenience and uh, to get so bent out of shape about something so uh, so minuscule and unimportant, uh, I, I, I can't see that perspective. And, and I think a lot of people and, and to be honest, I have not seen very many people just completely ignoring, you know, the, the masks. Uh, I think I think the reason it's prevalent is because. Uh, the people that refuse to wear them are the loudest on social media. So I see those Always perspectives a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. but when I'm actually out at the store, I, I'm not seeing a whole lot of people who aren't wearing masks. So, but isn't it funny now that like, we just become accustomed to it, that when you do see someone without a mask, like it st- sticks out like a sore thumb, you're like, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, there was someone on social one time. I, I've decided to take a little breather cause I just, I can't, uh, I don't blame you. <laughs> gosh, I need to take like a two week detox from social every now and then. So I've missed whatever's gone on Facebook for the last few weeks, but I, I did have kind of fun with one comment. Someone was just like, I dare anyone to tell me a mask. Tell me to wear a mask. I dare him to. And I just typed in like, you should wear a mask. Like <laughs> you're going to yell on your, social. And you log off for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. I was like, drop mic drop. Like, Yeah. <laughs> I don't like you're, you're not going to say that to my face and I'm not going to say that to your face. So like, yeah, we can argue in the comment section all we want, but, um, yeah, the one, I like, one I thing like, I, I, go ahead. I was going to say my favorite comment I've seen uh, recently is that there was a guy arguing at a city council meeting about uh, the government telling him he has to wear a mask. And the, and the line was, if he's mad about the government, tell him to wear a mask. Wait till he hears, they could also tell you to stay pregnant and have a child. <laughs> Justin representing the liberal side. <laughs> hey, I'm just representing pro-choice. So, I mean, you can yeah. call that whatever you want. Uh, I'm just messing around. Yeah. The, the one thing I just do not understand from any pers- side of the per- spectrum is if there's a business, a private business, and they put up a sign that says, you have to wear a mask to come in my store, why someone thinks they have the right to go in there without a mask. Like I, I, yeah, that's a property rights issue, man. I mean, to me, 
uh, that it doesn't get much more conservative than that. Why does a business owner not have the right to tell you to wear a mask? Uh, it's no shirt, no shoes, no service. Just add a, add mask to the third point on there. Yeah. I mean, a business can make whatever kind of weird requirement they want. I could be like, you have to wear a wizard hat to come in my place, you know, like, <laughs> and then no one comes and they go out of business. So, I mean, it, that's, if you don't agree with it, fine. But if Jewel says you need to wear one, you don't get to go into Jewel and shop without one. I, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. And again, I think it's just a matter of, of respect. Even if you, even if you adamantly think that the masks are BS and it's not going to save anything, like just be nice to the person that you, that's your neighbor and wear a mask because it makes them feel good. You know, like it's not that big of an inconvenience for your 20 minute shopping trip to put on a mask. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've seen some good stuff come out of this. I'll, I'll share one good thing at work is that at state farm, everyone went virtual. Mm-hmm. So, um, my team was already mostly virtual. We're spread out over several States. And so, it wasn't that big of a transition for us. Um, there are teams that were all located in the same area, and they've had to learn to use virtual techniques. And um, I've always been very supportive of people working from home when they need to. You know, like if uh, you get a couch delivered in some time in an eight-hour window, like you just get on your laptop, work from home. And then you know when that comes, deal with it. Uh, other older people in leadership had more of a traditional attitude where you had to be, you know butts and seats at your desk and stuff like that. So I think this has really proven that in a lot of jobs that um, virtual meetings and work environments can work well. Uh, Justin, you said you had, when we talked about a month ago, you said you had a similar thing with yours. Well, on the whole, you want to have in-person meetings, but you can do a lot of your work virtually too, right? So. Yeah. I mean, it really has been, um, like everything else, like, like it's a positive, it's coming out of it. Right. Like I, I was always hesitant of doing virtual appointments prior to COVID, um, just because I felt like, you know, that interaction in person was so important. But once we were kind of had to uh, adapt that or, or go without income, <laughs> um, sure. yeah. you, you know, it, I realized that it's so much uh, more convenient. It's so much uh, more efficient. Um, I can catch people, you know, I can be in my basement like I am right now and talk to a client. Um, at six 30 at night, you know, after I come home, I spent time with my daughter. Um, Hey, I'm going to go hop on the computer for a half hour and have this quick appointment and then go back upstairs. Like it's just so much more convenient. I get people that I always had a hard time getting in my office because of their schedules, um, that now we can actually sit down and review or talk about, you know, future stuff or anything like that. So it's been, it's been nice. It's definitely something I'm going to carry, carry out throughout, uh, or carry it with me in the future after this kind of goes away. Cause yeah. It just makes it so much simpler. Um, I think. I think. And you mentioned State Farm. Like I just biked uh, over by the corporate on Veterans the other day, and I was like, "Wow, the parking lots are just empty." Like it was like a. <laughs> it was like I don't know three o'clock, and I was just like, "Geez, man, it's just so weird." There's like five cars in this huge parking lot at State Farm, and you know, to your point, Tyson, it's like, and they're still going strong, right? Like, I mean, it's not like they've dropped that much of a ball. It's like, that's, um, they're able to do this. And I think that's the innovation we're going to see come out of it. Yeah. I just think about if this happened 10 years ago, how much different it would have been. Very true. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just 10 years ago. I've, I've had mixed, I've had mixed reactions to it. Um, you know, as, as an educator, uh, there are certainly parts of the job that I think have, like you guys said, lent themselves pretty well to a digital environment, things like faculty meeting and, and, you know, things like that. Um, but I, I really personally do feel like learning outcomes were uh, negatively affected in the classroom. 
it, particularly in, in certain uh, subjects and areas. Uh, Remind you know, me what you teach, Steve. I teach uh, media and journalism. So, um, you know, when I'm when I'm in the classroom, sometimes I, I'm doing things with, uh, for example, audio production, where there's specific hardware and software that students might not have access to um, outside the classroom. Also, the the way that that instruction is usually facilitated is very one on one. So I, I spend a lot of time one-on-one with a student or in extremely small groups like groups of two or three showing them different techniques uh letting them practice things and then giving immediate feedback on hey you could have done this instead you know that type of stuff and um at least right now those things are not easily facilitated in in an online learning environment and the same can the same can be said for other other disciplines as well i mean you know you think about uh, like a biology uh, lab or a chemistry lab where there's chemicals and specimens and lab equipment and, you know, uh, or a, a nursing student who needs that practice on an actual um, specimen or, you know, uh, needs that practice on on uh, some of the, you know, the, the dummies or whatever that they have to, to practice on. Uh, there are a lot of things that can be facilitated online. Uh, but there's some things that are, are either it, it's extremely difficult to facilitate them online uh, to the point where it's detrimental. You're not going to it won't be as efficient or are literally just impossible to do remotely. Um, and I think that's the way education will be trending here in the fall. I think you'll see kind of a mixed bag approach where they try and move what what can be easily moved online into that environment. But uh, things that that do require that physical space, uh, will, uh, will be able to accommodate that with distancing and, and other precautionary measures. So, yeah, my youngest son is supposed to go into kindergarten and I can't, I don't, I don't know any way you could do kindergarten, um, on a computer that doesn't work. Yeah, no, it's impossible. Yeah. And and how much, how much are they, you know, and and when you talk about a K-12 specifically, but also you could, you could think of higher ed in this instance, you know, uh, what you're learning from a textbook and from the actual instruction is part of your education, but there's another entirely separate part of your education that is social education. It's learning to work with other people uh, toward a common task in small groups. It's learning um, uh, power dynamics and how to interact with people who aren't like you culturally, uh, you know, working up, working with people of diverse backgrounds um, and trying to figure out social situations that, I mean, think of, think of everything that you learned as a kid and how much socially you learned in, in high school, interacting with your peers. And I think we're, uh, and even, even before high school, I think we're, we're losing some of that in an online learning environment. Yeah. 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 It's one of my big things I'm interested in seeing is how they facilitate that, um, and break that up. I'm, I'm hopeful that things in Illinois continue to turn in the right direction, and then schools can largely reopen. Uh, but and we, the schools have a secondary K through 12 has a secondary impact on the parents too, right? Being able to go back to work if they need to, right? Uh, I mean, it's and, and unfortunately, uh, you know, a lot of those are those 
um, lower to minimum wage jobs that they also can't afford childcare and those types of things. And there are also, as we learned throughout this, is usually the essential services that are <laughs> that we're going to need also, um, like the grocery store clerks and those type of things. So it's just it's got a domino effect um, from the education system on up. Yeah. Well, another thing that I was excited to see that we were trying due to COVID was the outdoor dining. I I went downtown Bloomington the day that they allowed that, and I think um, Reality Bites and a couple other places had some outside places going on. You see, you think does Rosie's have one too? And yeah, well, Rosie's, um, Tony. Yep. Rosie's always had their couple seats out front, but then they also put up a yeah. few tents. Um, Tony Tacos does too. Tony's, um, Mystic, McGuire's, um, Reality, uh, Brass Pig. Um, there's a lot of places to eat downtown. I think Night Shop's opening up their outdoor space next week. Okay, cool. So I'm glad to hear that places are still still experimenting with that. That's a one time I sat down. I've been out of town. I've been traveling um, out west to visit family. Went to South Dakota, so I haven't been around the last couple of weeks. But um, I was glad to see that's, that they were trying that out. Are they, are they doing anything in normal too? Uptown oh yeah. Normal yeah. Uptown's got, I mean, they've blocked off just like Blue, uh, Bloomington. They blocked off some parking spots and, and, uh, given some, uh, some extra seating to, uh, a lot of the dining venues. Uh, you know, Maggie Miley's is set up in the alley next to the building. Uh, same, okay. with, fi- same with firehouse. Um, and then, uh, you know, the pub already had some outdoor space and so did Medici. They've got the uh, the patio upstairs. Uh, but Medici so, out front too, so they got their stuff. Yeah, upstairs. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's nice to see businesses being able to innovate in that way. It's pretty neat. Well, it's just, it's just honestly like the Steve will like this comment. It's just the government getting out of the way a little bit and saying, do what you need to do to survive. Um, and I mean, this is the outdoor seating specifically to those those city centers is something that a lot of advocates, myself included, has been fighting for for a long time. It's like, why can't we do this? And there's uh, numerous examples throughout the country of, of yeah. it being successful. And so, and again, a positive out of COVID is just having to do this and now watching it and be like, oh, well, like everybody is. This is kind of cool. This is kind of yeah. This the world thing. didn't end, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, and. It's it's really got kind of a street festival vibe to it, you know. Um, and and I, I joked around with with Justin when when all this was happening. I said, "Dude, let's get let's get some open container laws in, uh, oh, in yeah. uh, Bloomington and Normal too, and then you can travel between you know venues and stuff like that. Make it make it kind of a destination. And and it it not that it already isn't, but I, I think we're seeing that some of some of the loosening of some some restrictions can actually be a uh, be a benefit to uh, what these places can offer. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went through. Um, so Bloomington shut down theirs, and, and they did. Ex- unfortunately, they did exactly what I said they were going to do: is throw up construction stuff and make it look really bad at first. I thought, in my opinion. <laughs> um, so like the, the day they allowed it, they threw up some construction stuff, and I was happy to see that was mainly short term. And they've since, you know, improved that, and it looks a lot nicer. Um, but I went to Uptown. It was like four o'clock on a Tuesday or Thursday. I can't remember. Um, and the, the, every table in front of Medici was, was packed, um, you know, in front of coffee, how it was packed, like it was four o'clock on a weeknight and just everywhere had tables full. And like Steve said, very festival like atmosphere. And it's just, like, it's just crazy. If you just create the atmosphere, what that can do. Um, and a very little government involvement there, right. It's, they provided some barricades, um, to those businesses and then yeah. 
in the future, they wouldn't even have to do that if the businesses had time to plan, because I'm sure they would like to make it, you know, more beautiful than concrete barricades. Right. Put something more permanent there. Yeah. Right. Right. But for right now, it's, it's still doing the job and getting the getting the atmosphere that we all want have wanted downtown and uptown for a long time. Yeah. Was that part of the downtown task force report, Justin, outdoor dining? I seem to think it was. Uh, yeah, if, I think I think it was mentioned in there. Um, if just, not explicitly, just, it's definitely aligned with the spirit of it, right? Yeah, and we didn't go into detail, uh, which we usually didn't in that report, but um, just allowing more outdoor seating, outdoor dining, I think was mentioned in there. I think Tyson locked up. Uh-oh. There, there you he go. He's back. back. <laughs> you locked up for a second, Tyson. All know? right. Yeah. 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 I'm good. I'm good. All right. One of the things that I don't like about COVID is being reliant upon my internet connection. I'm trying to do something <laughs> about that. That has been frustrating at times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I've my- got each, each one of the kids has an Echo Dot in their room, and they all have iPads. And so, like, if my wife is if I'm trying to do something here, and then my wife is streaming, you got three iPads on, and they're all listening to music on their Echo. It's like, yeah, it's so nothing's the happening. Everything in your house in every room. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I it is really fun, by the way. If you, I turned it off now, but I, I, I had Echo destroy the searches and the things that it picks up. But because I was worried about privacy matters, but you can look through it, see all the things that they said. And when you've got children like under the age of ten in your house, they they say some really wild things to Echo. Let me just put it that way. It's a <laughs> it's a good. Some good comedic relief to see all the things they ask her. But, yeah. Um, sorry, last thing I heard was just about the – it's just part of the broader vision for downtown and uptown to have that festival-type feel to it. Exactly right, yeah. I mean, I think this will also allow down, – downtown is always unlike normal. I think downtown has always been hesitant to shut down streets. Um, and I think hopefully this will help in the future realize what kind of benefit that can be. Yeah, for sure. Yep. I was sad to see that the stash closed. That's where I got my haircut. I really liked them a lot down there, um, but they couldn't withstand being shut down that long. So was, we did lose a few, I think. Yeah, and the, and unfortunately, like if you lose a few, and I don't want, I don't want to make light of this. Any business that goes that goes out of business is usually a bad thing. But if you lose it because you know they were the low hanging fruit of their industry, that's one thing. Um, if you lose it because in that specific situation, they, they were, they fell through the cracks. I mean, they were independent contractors that could not operate their business of cutting hair. Uh, they didn't qualify for PPP, um, you know, cause they're all independent contractors. Uh, they didn't qualify for unemployment because they're independent contractors. So those people went months and weeks without, without any income. And that's just, I mean, that, that really does pull at your heartstrings. I think someone put, I mean, stash, they, the space was cool. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And so they put a lot of time and energy and money into that and then to no fault of their own. Right. I mean, it just that that's the ones that suck. Yeah. And that goes back to to a point we made earlier about, you know, when all this happened, we had days to figure out solutions to try and, you know, deliver that safety net and help people. But inevitably, you know, there are situations that are going to be be forgotten or overlooked. And hopefully, you know, if something like this ever happens again. Uh, we'll be able to call back to some of those instances where uh, the, you know, the relief that was supposed to come and never did, we can fix some of those situations. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Um, well, I had an idea 
went out of went out of my mind. Anything else come to mind? Uh, uh no, I mean I, I it's phase four has actually gone better than I thought it would. Um when they when we were coming up on phase four, I was a little worried that and I think it did for maybe a couple of days, people just thinking it was over because um, things started opening again. So I mean, but it, it seems to be people following regulations for the most part. Um and doing what they're supposed to do, staying safe. I still see all the hand sanitizer and wipes and Lysol and <laughs> all that kind of stuff, um, which makes me yeah. feel more comfortable. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at how well at least our community is handling everything. Yeah. And there are, there are some places that are, uh, I don't want to say ignoring uh, recommendations, but they're a little looser with some of the restrictions, but I think, I think to me, market forces are going to figure that out. You know, people who are people who are more okay with looser restrictions are going to patronize places that have looser restrictions. But if you're someone who's like, I care about my safety a lot, uh, then you'll go to the places that uh, are strictly enforcing restrictions and guidelines. So, um, and I, I know Justin, you mentioned earlier, you know, that well, that doesn't help you if you know those two groups of people interact later. And, and I agree with that to an extent, but, uh, as far as, um, as far as public safety is concerned and, uh, customers feeling safe, I, th- I think the market's figuring that out right now. So, and I'd say Steve to try to, a way to try to avoid that cross contagion too, is being willing to have some difficult conversations with people you come into interaction sure. with, Sure. um, you know, like what, you know, that maybe you want to have a dinner party, right? You're gonna have another family over. Okay. Um, well, I'm not going to require you to wear a mask in our house, you know, like that's kind of, you know, that's not going to work for a dinner party, you know, but, um, you know, please wash your hands before you come. And then, you know, just maybe a quick conversation of, you know, what precautions are they taking? Are they, um, are they going to certain places? And if you don't feel like they're, uh, they're, restrictions are aligned with yours, then maybe you got to delay that to some other time. Um, I had another friend talk about some family member wanting to stay with them on the way to a family reunion and back. And he said, you can, I'm not going to the family reunion because I think there's too many people together in the same place. I was just going to ask invited. Yeah. He's like, I was invited. I'm not going there. (laughs) Sounds like a good Um, excuse. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, you can stay with me on the way down, but I'd rather you find a hotel on the way back. So, I mean, you can like, sure. You can have that conversation, you know, but, um, yeah. So the the other thing that uh, you know came up a lot recently is you know on the on the heels of on all this is the discussion about policing and in particular the you know, defund the police idea and the protests and things like that. Um, clearly a very sensitive issue, but an important one. We've been having meetings at work called a conversation worth having, and I. I think that's a good way of framing it. It's a good conversation to have. Um, as someone who was raised in an international school, I had friends from all kinds of different races and nationalities and things. And the only way you come to an understanding of people is through talking to them and having conversations about their experiences. So I've been very happy to see that get bumped up the priority list for uh, for conversations that folks will have. Because, I mean, we've been talking about I was just listening to Dave Chappelle sketch. One of his, I mean, a stand-up. One of his first ones, "Killing Us Softly" from the early two thousands. He's talking about police brutality there. You know, like it, it, and that's it's been going on for decades, and just kind of like 
he, he jokes like people read about it news in Newsweek and they're like, Oh man, that's a real problem. And then, you know, moves on to the next thing. And, uh, so how, how's that, um, how is both the topic and then the, the response and the debate, how's that sitting with you guys? Well, I'll, I'll start uh, to me. There are some good ideas within the defund the police movement. And look, if you're talking about uh, police budgets, um, as long as there are still speed traps on Vernon Avenue and there's still undercover cops breaking up keggers in, in normal, um, I, I think you can certainly make an argument that uh, not all of the officer's time is being used to protect and serve. Uh, there are uh, there are situations where uh, we can look at and say, all right, let's take a look at what we're spending our money on as far as police are concerned. And, and maybe that's maybe that's a situation where we have less officers, but we pay officers more money and give them better training and uh, better education and better connection with the community uh, so they can so they can help to facilitate safety in a different way. Um, the, the problem I have with the defund the police movement is that in my opinion, it's using extremist rhetoric to get their message in front of more people, which is effective uh, as far as reaching a wider audience. But I do, I think it's less effective at coming towards solutions. I, I think when you use that type of, uh, extremist rhetoric, uh, it, it's going to automatically turn people off who may have agreed with some of the points that you had if you hadn't approached it in that way. So if you want to talk about reforming the police or reorganizing the police or rethinking the way that we deliver public safety, I'm totally on board with that. Um, but when, when we go straight to let's defund the police, I think that extremist rhetoric, uh, while it might help to get that message in front of more people, it's it's not a productive way to come to solutions. Yeah, because it means like a it means to a lot of people abolish the police department, right? And yeah. it's hard to get a, when you start people off there. It's hard to get them off of that perspective on things. I'll say this: if if any if a lighter phrase would have worked, they probably would have said it by now. Um, there's a reason why that is so impactful today. Um, it's because it is extreme. And they're using that because it's the only way they feel like they can be heard. And I think that as three white guys sitting on this call, that's sure. important. That's important that we have that empathy. Um, that being said, I do agree with Steve that when someone says, do you, do you agree to defund the police? I first ask them, what do you mean by that? Um, because I, I want to make sure that I'm having the same conversation they're expecting me to have. And I think that looking at police budgets each and every year is important. <laughs> I don't think we need to do it. Um, you know, do we need to do it more now than before? No, I think we should have been doing it a long time ago um, and, and really looking at it. We And let me be clear. We ask a lot of our police department. We yep. ask them not just to protect and serve. We ask them to be mental health, um, you know, advocates and, and help the mental, mentally ill that's on the street. We ask them to help the homeless. Mm -hmm. We ask them to help and, and that's that's part of the problem. Uh, you know, police aren't trained to deal in some of the, no. with some of those situations. In, in and, if some they, and if they are yeah. not in and that's no, right. that's no that's no fault of their own, right? Because I mean, it's like their their responsibilities grew and their training didn't grow at the same pace. So, can we use some of that police budget to then increase our funding for mental health and increase our funding in other areas to make their jobs easier? 
um, so that they're focused on protecting and serving. I think that's a conversation we should be we should have been having a long time ago. Um, I think if those kind of conversations would have happened, we probably would not be in at least in as bad of a situation as we are today. Yeah, yeah, it's a, that's a really good point, Justin. Of like, um, you know, I've definitely engaged in my fair share of like critiquing of the marketing strategy here of defund of the police. Um, and then, you know, I got to take a step back and think like, okay, like, so is that the point? Like, Hey, you know, go back and come up with a different slogan and then we'll have this conversation, you know, so we can, you know, debate on the tactics of it or whether it's really effective. That's, but that's sort of like a, almost like a political horse race argument it, more it than is. like a substantive argument. Right. I think I, it is absolutely. And, and like I said, I think, I think we got to be very careful to look at someone who's trying to be heard that has been ignored, uh, you know, for generations and saying, no, 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 we want to hear you, but not like that. Yeah. It's like <laughs> Kaepernick taking the knee, right? It's right. like, well, I'm okay with people protesting, but not in that way. Like follow right. my protesting rules. But then when so, something worse yeah. were to happen, you know, and then when and they're like, Oh, well, knees are fine now. Go back to the knees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know>? It's <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's what when I sit and think about it, that's the kind of stuff I think about. I mean, you really have to like get out of your own skin and, and try your best, even though it's impossible, to put yourself in their shoes and be like, God, I, I don't know what I would do. Like uh-huh. they're handling uh, our community specifically is handling this way better than I think that myself, my family, and my friends would um, if if we were in that situation. And so I have extreme extreme empathy toward toward them. And I'm I mean I wrote a, I wrote an editorial a couple weeks ago. And it was just, it's our turn to listen. Like it's our turn to listen. And then we act to what we hear, um, from the people that are suffering and not try to tell them how to suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as some of the policy solutions that I've heard, um, and Steve, you touched on them too. We could tease them out a little bit. I think the the traffic, the role of police in giving out traffic tickets is really fascinating to think about. Cause we definitely have this perception that like, how traffic tickets will be administered as a police officer sitting out on a road waiting for someone to break a speeding law and then chasing after them and pulling them over and then having a conversation with them and giving them a ticket. And then they can bring that home and decide whether or not they want to pay that ticket or not. Um, and that, that interaction is wrong on, I mean, you can, you can um, challenge that interaction on a lot of different ways. One, you're paying a police officer just to sit there for hours to watch traffic, watch cars go by. Right. Two, the the chasing around is dangerous. Three, the whole interaction is just toxic, right? The person's in the car, the police officer's looking over them. And then also then those are the things that speed out of control. Then it's like, you know, hey, uh, you know, give me your wallet. Oh, it's in my, uh, it's in my glove compartment. I thought they were reaching for a gun or like, I thought I smelled drugs. So I had him step out of the car and then things escalated. And like, it was, it was a a speeding ticket. Right. And so we don't have cops going and giving out parking tickets on like in downtown. Um, that's like a traffic enforcement thing. And so if we could focus like those traffic violations for a traffic violation type activity and not have like the entirety of the police force brought to bear on that. Um, I think it's a really interesting conversation to have. Sure. And, and in America, not necessarily just this community, but our entire country, uh, a lot of times these police stops are used as pretext for other things like mm-hmm. uh, searching for drugs and, and things like that. And, it's important to note uh, one of the reasons why I don't like traffic stops. And I think that uh, there should be things put in place uh, that would make it tougher for a, for an officer to uh, pull someone over in the first place. 
I, I don't like it because there's so much discretion on the officers um, on the officers part. Because not everyone going five or ten miles per hour over the limit is going to get pulled over. Uh, the officer can pick and choose who who gets that law enforced and who doesn't. And when an officer has discretion as far as how the law is applied, I think that's where we come back to some of these serious conversations about why are they choosing certain people over others? Why is are they choosing certain vehicles over others? And uh, if officers didn't have as much discretion, if it was more cut and dry, uh, then I think police themselves would see less criticism because you can't go back and say, well, this is the reason I was pulled over. It, 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 it'll be something that's more uh, specific and more, like I said, cut and dry. So, Yeah. Yeah. Then, and um, from like a, there was a really interesting take on a strong towns site. I'd suggest people Google strong towns, routine traffic stop. They write on it a lot about how like your, your zoning in your city your city planning sets up natural traffic stops because there'll be a place where the speed drops down, but there's no other visual indication that you should be slowing down. So like everyone is going to speed there. Um, I think about North veterans, right? When you come off of 55 by Menards and Home Depot. Yeah. So you just got off the interstate. You're driving South on veterans. You've already got velocitization. So you feel like you're going slower than you are. Then you go down a hill and you're supposed to be slowing down to, I think, 45 there. But everything in your mind is indicating, I can go 65 here. And so if you set up police there, they're going to just get, catch people all day, uh, especially if you do it in the night when people are, you know, there's no traffic, so you're going to go even faster. And then that could be a pretext for all kinds of stuff going on. Oh, yeah. And, and we know where these places are at in town. You know, uh, they do it over on College uh, near Anderson Park. And they'll do it on Main Street uh, uh, when you get off, uh, like on the Rab Road exit, and it goes from 45 to 35. Like that area always has a cop set up. Like if you live here long enough, you know where those areas are at for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, to, and to Tyson's point, like I remember uh, I, probably, I don't know how long it was, four years ago maybe, uh, when they changed the speed limit on a portion of Hershey um, from 45, I think it was, to 35. Could have those numbers slightly wrong. Um, but I remember one of the arguments was, well, people are people are going 50 there. We need to lower the speed limit. And I'm like, so people are going 50 in a 45 and your solution is to lower it to 35 and think that that's just going to naturally make people drive slower. And let me I go there. I go that way all the time. It doesn't like it naturally. That, it's a four lane almost looking highway in that little section of Ward five. And it it feels like you should be able to go faster and you want to slow yeah. traffic down, narrow the lanes. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's, that's really it. Like if you want to slow traffic down, narrow the lanes, as long as it's going to be a four way with turn lanes built in, it's going to feel like an expressway to people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and then the, the other interesting point I think that deserves a lot of conversation is the militarization of our local police force to the military surplus that goes to them without necessarily the training that goes along with, uh, the military uh, background. Um, and again, that's not to fault the police. That's not to fault the individual police officers. But when you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And maybe you're more likely to respond with force if you've got the means available for you to do that. So I, I've been 
one of my big like national issues is the size of our military and um, questioning that and uh, seeing that have an impact here locally is another thing I think we can talk about under the, you know, defund umbrella. Well, I think, it, I mean, it goes back to the crime bill, um, you know, the Clinton crime bill and, and we funded these police departments with money if they were to buy these types of equipment and, and, what are you going to, I mean, no different than a corporate America, right? Like, Hey, you have this money, you got to spend it on this. Well, yeah. I'm going to go spend it on this. I'm go <laughs> buy a crate of paper clips right before the, you know, fiscal. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's as much a federal issue as it is a local one, uh, because the way that these local police departments and sheriff's offices end up with these, uh, is it's surplus from the military. So, you know, the military's got, you know, a tank or, or an MRAP for, uh, you know, two or three years. And then, well, you got to keep that industrial complex going, man. They're going to keep making these vehicles. So what are you going to do with the ones you don't need anymore? Uh, well, we'll give it to police departments and they'll figure it out. When a lot of times folks at these police departments don't have, like you said, any training with this equipment. They don't know how to use it. They don't even have a purpose for it. There, there, there's not even a situation in which they would probably need it. Uh, it's more used for intimidation as a law enforcement agency than it is for something practical. And, uh, you know, John Oliver had a great, uh, segment about this. It was probably two or three years ago now. Uh, and he actually pointed out how, uh, some of these, uh, like military style vehicles, uh, that local police departments have access to now tear up the streets. They're, they're a, a public, they're a public nuisance almost. Uh, they do much more harm than they do good. And you're right. Uh, this is, it's a symptom of the disease of the giant inflated, military budget on a federal level but it's so hard for whether it's congress or, or, or local officials um to say no to something that, that can be thrown in their face and say oh you're voting no against the military or you're voting no against the police oh like, yeah that, that and, and i mean so you know i am i, I look at that and be like that's a that's a difficult position because they got to answer to constituents that say i heard that you voted no to give money to our military <laughs> um you know and and Obviously, there are right answers that you can come back at, but to be able to net, to put a wide net and tell everybody exactly why you did it. Um, right. That's a that's a cultural change that we yeah. need to start moving toward in America, uh, where you know not every time you say, "Hey, maybe we should rethink military funding," you're <laughs> not supporting the troops. You know, you hate you obviously hate veterans and soldiers. If if you say, you know, maybe we shouldn't have ten times the the military budget of you know. Uh, the fourth country on the list uh, of or, military or spending. Instead of developing a plane that will never see, you know, never see any action at all, maybe we put that money into mental health for our soldiers. Or, or right, you know, help yeah. them help them adjust better when they come back from service and and uh, get adjusted back to civilian life. Uh, you know, uh, how many homeless veterans are there? Uh, how many folks? Uh, look at our VA system. My dad's in the V in the VA in Mantino right now. I don't feel safe with him there. Uh, Those places are, have been, have been proven to be uh, Petri dishes for disease. And and you're now we're in a situation where there's a pandemic. I, you know, uh, these places are incredibly underfunded and yeah, if you want to talk about, Hey, let's, how do we support our troops? Let's spend some more money on that. You're totally right. Tyson, you're, you're muted brother. I can't hear you. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, let's actually support the people who are in the military uh, and, you know, they're ex- make them more effective during and after their 
their job than right. and, just and, dumping money into equipment technology, right? And same thing locally, right? Like, I mean, you just just move that into our local instead of buying another, you know, tactical whatever it is. Um, let, let's let's put more money into training for so they can better help the mental health if we're going to continue to have them do that. Um, you know, those yeah. types of reallocate that to a better the better cause yeah well i'm just really happy right now because last time we did one of these we had jeremy on he leans right he talked about fixing the streets steve i got you to say that that something was breaking the streets too oh roads yeah yeah (laughs) fix the streets that's i gotta get every i gotta get um every guest to uh, to say that at some point and then i'm thinking i might cut them all out chain them all together just like a long thing maybe that could be our new intro yeah that's the new name of the podcast the uh the fix the streets streets. podcast (laughs) and it is rough though like even it it's just amazing how quickly things deteriorate i was riding my bike down washington on the bike lane and there's parts of it that like aren't passable anymore that was just a few years ago when we did that it's it's nuts how how quickly the roads deteriorate speaking of biking and i'll get on my high horse about that for just a second the it's the worst part of the street is always where you're supposed to be biking mm-hmm. right? far right. And, and here's why all the, in the winter, all the snow gets pushed there in the spring and fall. That's where the, uh, they're not supposed to put their debris in the, in the brush in the road, but people do. Um, they're supposed to put it in the parkway, but everybody puts it in the road cause they don't want it to kill the grass and all that. Just like, you can't ride a bike in this town and stay where you're supposed to be without doing a little bit of swerving in and out. Otherwise you're going to get hurt. No. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's all. No, I I completely agree. Yeah. Well, it's been really interesting for me um, going out. We went out to Rapid City, South Dakota, um, to visit my in-laws, and um, you know everything is so car-centric out there. Like, there's really no way to get from their house to anything else without getting on the interstate. Um, I tried to walk to a restaurant from their house one day when I was. I had to work in the morning, so I was the only one there. I didn't have a car. I tried to walk to a restaurant. I thought I made it, but I actually went over a place where I went over a bridge over the interstate that I later noticed had a sign that pedestrians weren't supposed to go over it. Um, there isn't anywhere you can get to uh, other than by a car getting on the interstate. Um, and, uh, you know, they're still growing and expanding, and things are very spread out. And, uh, you know, it, Every time I go anywhere else now, I sort of reflect on how that place is the same and different from Bloomington Normal. And all the things we're talking about, what I I say about Bloomington Normal is we're big enough to have real problems, but I think we're small enough to think that you could, or one person can do something to solve, make a step towards solving those problems. And that's what encourages me about the conversation about policing or COVID. And we, we've got the diversity of views and perspectives to have that discussion and to understand the issues. And then we've also got the skill sets and I think the patience to have the conversations with each other about how to make them better. And, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where we go. I'm hoping some useful police reform and other learnings come out of this year of 2020. Cause man, there's been a lot of bad stuff in 2020 and I'm hoping we get some good stuff out of it long-term. Um, well, uh, we're coming up on hour mark here, and I don't want to keep you guys too long. Um, so unless there's any other final thoughts, you, you guys got any final thoughts to close this out? No. Do you guys know any businesses I should be boycotting? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, oh, man. <laughs> I heard some of the insurance agents in town, I think, are way too involved in giving opinions about politics. I think they should reel that back. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. 
I will just share my thought on boycotting a business. <laughs> see, yeah, see what I opened up. I have thoughts. I have opinions. Um, no, I, I totally agree that if someone has a business practice that you don't agree with, that you shouldn't patronize them. We talked about that in this, in this, uh, conversation right now, right? If someone's putting people at, um, putting people at risk, then, you know, let them know that you don't appreciate that and, and don't, don't patronize them anymore. Maybe encourage others not to, if, if you feel like their business practices are discriminatory or something, then, you know, by all means, I, where I get worried is if it's just like an individual person has a political perspective, but that doesn't, that doesn't, um, like come into play in their business. That's the kind of hurdle I can't get over. So, you know, so-and-so is donating money to, cause X or so-and-so is a proponent of cause X and I don't agree with cause X. So I'm not going to patronize that store until they change their views. I, I struggle with that because I want people to change their views because they understand that what they did before was wrong. And now that they have, you know, grown and learned better and can advocate for a position I think is better, just like threatening them with loss of income and them changing for that reason. I don't know that that's like a genuine change that I'd want to see. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw in uh, three brief points uh, on this. Uh, the first one, I think there's a difference between encouraging people to support businesses that align with their values than discouraging people not to support businesses um, or discouraging people from supporting businesses because their their uh, political leanings may go somewhere else. I, I agree with Tyson. You know, if, the, if, the, if there's something that that has to do with the business itself that you object to. Yeah, certainly call for that for sure. But, um, when the business itself is apolitical and, and, you know, maybe the business owner may have donated to a cause or a candidate or something like that. Um, I, I, I do get worried about that. And, and here's, the, here's the reason why, uh, if we continue to self segregate ourselves that way by ideology, it, it diminishes the opportunities for us to have conversations with people who, with whom we disagree. Um, I, we need to encourage more interaction with people who disagree. Cause I think we'll find that we have more things that we agree on than most people think. And, um, trying to only associate yourself in every aspect of your life with people who agree with you, uh, is not, is not an effective way to go about life. And, and I, you know, if it gets down to the point where I can only support a business that, that I, with whose owner I agree with on 100% of everything, I'll, I'll never go to another business again. So, uh, yeah. because we're all individuals and we all have different perspectives. I, I, most people don't fit into a predetermined box. Uh, most people have unique and, um, different views on, on, uh, different, uh, positions, uh, and on different issues. And, um, uh, I think throwing someone into, uh, one big giant can of, you know, I can never agree with this person or support them because just because of this one thing, I don't think that that's a pro- productive way to, to go about things. So I, I, I think it's, I don't know. I don't know what conversation we're having, I guess, because, the, I mean, I agree with everything you guys have essentially said, but I also think uh, if I didn't agree with you, it wouldn't make me wrong. Um, <laughs> what, what I mean by that is like, you know, if I want to put out a list and throw it on my Facebook and say, you know what, all these businesses I disagree with and I'm not going to uh, 
patronize them anymore, and I don't think anybody else should either. Um, I don't think that makes me wrong. I mean, that's 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 me expressing my thoughts about how I spend my dollars. Um, usually, in boycott situations, the boycott helps both ways as soon as it's exposed, right? I mean, if I say I'm boy- boycotting um, this restaurant because they are Trump supporters, um, I bet a bunch of Trump supporters are going to go to that restaurant. Um, <laughs> that's true. That. that that is true, and, and so, we did. With this local boycott list that was, you know, being thrown around, I, I know anecdotally that there are some people who did that. So. Yeah, of course. And so, I mean, it, it's it's someone's opinion. Now, in our local issue, um, at first it was tied to an older person who has since denied that they created it. But I, I think there is a little bit of a sketchy ground when it is an elected official. Um, but from our, again, speaking specifically to the local issue, it was on a private Facebook group made by someone in that private Facebook group. Um, I, I, I understand why people are upset about it. I understand both sides is what I'm saying. I understand why people are upset about it, but I don't think it's causing the harm that people are going to think it's going to cause. Um, if, if the mayor of our city said, don't visit this restaurant, I believe that is wrong. Um, you know, if, if an older person said it, I, I think that that has some implications that they're going to have to answer to. Um, but if a, if a private citizen says, this is why, this is where I'm spending my money and this is why, or this is not where I'm spending my money and this is why good for them. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a personal example. Um, I have a friend who, um, is very left leaning and won't visit Chick-fil-A. Um, just says, I'm not going to visit Chick-fil-A because I don't believe in their values. Um, I share a lot of my friend's <laughs> values in that regard, but you know, I'll still go to Chick-fil-A. Um, it's not the end of the world to me. He drew his line in a different spot than I drew mine. And that doesn't make either one of us right or wrong in my opinion. Yeah. Well, there was an example of a restaurant locally. My parents went to it and I won't, I'm not going to call them out cause that's, you know, I don't want to be publicly shaming people or anything, but they went to a restaurant and none of the staff were wearing masks or what they saw as taking precautions. And my parents and my dad's in his late seventies. So he's at high risk. And he, he said, it's a shame that he's like, I don't feel comfortable going there anymore because I don't feel like they were being safe enough and I'm not going to go there anymore. And I said, well, did you, did you, uh, you know, chat with, maybe you could have chatted with the owner or one of the people and said like, it's, I really like coming here, but it's unfortunate to me. And if you started wearing masks, then I can come back. But until then I'm not going to be able to, then they would kind of know like, Hey, maybe we need to reconsider this thing. And you can talk to people first and then, um, he can quote unquote boycott them (laughs) and, and let other people know about that too. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, Justin, your example of Chick-fil-A, you know, I know, I know several people who, who do the same thing. Um, I know people who won't visit, you know, Walmart, for example, because they don't yeah. they, they don't agree with yeah. Walmart's uh, corporate policies. Right. Uh, but I think there's a difference between making that an individual choice on your own and and then publicizing it and then saying you you shouldn't go either. Um, I, that that to me, that's where the line is drawn. But, but was and that that's done? that's the difference between a personal choice and a boycott to me. But was that was that ever done? Was it said you shouldn't either or, is it, or, or was it? I don't think people should visit this because of these reasons. That's why I'm not visiting this. Like what's what that's freedom of speech there. I mean, sure. But, but freedom of speech goes both ways. It, it doesn't absolve the person of the original speech from being criticized for making that not. speech. And, right. And, and so hundred percent agree with that. Like, like if, if indeed the older person did write it, um, I, I believe, I believe her when she says she didn't, but if that were to be the case, um, I would say, well, then you deserve the blowback that you're going to receive from this. Like, sure. Like, and, 
and inevitably, you're right. These public officials, you know, it, I, I, I believe that that they didn't create the list. Now, I, I have seen instances of them supporting the list. And and I think they'll have to answer that to yeah. when the election comes around. You know, uh, it's to their own detriment, in my opinion, if they continue to do that. So, yeah, I did. My overall point about this, just to sum it up, is that. I, I'm not there. I don't believe I'm not. I, you probably will never see me say don't visit this business because of this. But I also think it's someone's right to be able to do that. Um, they deserve what they get from doing that. Just like I deserve what I you know, I have to live with my moral ground if I disagree with somebody and I still want to uh, patron, patronize. Yeah. Them. And they should be able to articulate to people in a compelling way why they're they're making that statement, too. Right. I'm not doing the go to these businesses because of X. And they explain why not. And then people consider if that's a good enough reason. Oh, it's a good. Good point. I didn't know that about you know, business X, and that doesn't make me uncomfortable. Maybe I don't want to go there anymore. You know, you can convince people with your, um, with, with your, the, the language that comes around I mean, it. I mean, to, to, to flip this, because I think a lot of, um, a lot of people think these liberals are the ones that are making these boycott lists with Chick-fil-A and, you know, with Walmart or those type of things. But I mean, let's look at all the good that Planned Parenthood does versus the one thing they may disagree with, you know, and they still at, you know, adamantly are against everything Planned Parenthood because they support birth control. Um, so, so it can be done both ways and you can make the decision and that's okay to do both ways. There, you can, you can say you don't like Planned Parenthood and you will never donate to them. Um, same way as someone else could write a check to them. Yeah. And, and the last distinction that I'll, I, I could see here too, is the Chick-fil-A one versus, you know, Joe's chicken, uh, you know, that's not a real place. I just, you know, the local, there's, there's like a local restaurant, right. Versus Chick-fil-A. You can't just make an appointment with the CEO of Chick-fil-A and go explain your views to them. Right. So you got to more kind of like vote with your purse on that one. Um, but, uh, you know, a local place, if you think that someone's wrong, you were small enough, you can go in and chat with them and, and see if you can convince them to do something different. Um, then maybe they treat you poorly and then maybe that's, that's the reason why you boycott. But, um, you know, having that, it's tough to have a conversation. You gotta be really, uh, it's kind of the easier way just to publicly call somebody out, right? To, it takes a lot of courage and fortitude to come and have a a one-on-one conversation with someone to try to get them to see your perspective. But again, it wasn't public. It was in a private Facebook group. Yeah. I'm just talking in general. I know. know, I've thought a lot about this because I used to only I used to try to avoid factory farmed meat really hard. That was a big cause that I was supportive of. And um, that was something I struggled with there too. But yeah, in this particular instance, it's a private group and private people discussing what they think is right. So, and I mean, yeah. there's, no, there's no, there's no denying when you read the name of the group, like which way they're going to lean. I mean, I don't know. This shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, I'm, I don't know. I just, I, again, like I, I understand no business like if my name if my businesses was on a boycott list i would be like man that sucks i hope the people that know me and and know me personally will continue to support me and respect me and stand out against this um so i understand the frustration um but i don't think it's gonna have the impact just because your name's on the list that people might assume it does yeah yeah with all this stuff, though, it generates a lot of good conversation and a lot of good, you know, thinking through um, the role of different people in these things and what your current role is. And, um, you know, you can go along just with your day-to-day life going through your habits, or you can take a time to kind of think about certain things more deeply and um, and have some good chats about them, too. So I always 
try to see the benefit too. At least we're talking about things. Should I be thinking about the people who own the businesses, you know, political stances when I patronize stores? It's a good question to ask yourself. It's, it's well, valid. I think I think for the future of this podcast too. I mean, because I think we do a good job, but I mean, we're only who we are. Like, it'd be good to have someone, you know, of um, some an African American or a black person to come on and say, "What's your perspective?" Yeah. Or have a different business owner that maybe was on this boycott list come on and say, "Give me your perspective of this," um, you know, because right now we're just we're just talking out of our out of our, out of our rear end sometimes about what yeah, we think. Yeah, for sure. Put, we're trying to put ourselves in their shoes, which is impossible to do. So um, maybe if these continue to be issues that people care to hear about, we can start inviting some people on that are right in the middle of those issues. Yeah, for sure. I'll I'll talk to anybody. Love talking to people. <laughs> Well, I need to wrap up here, get on the next part of my day. Well, thank you to our sponsor, Play Normal Esports. They are reopening back up gradually. Right now, they've got a summer camp going on from Monday through Friday, 10 to 5. Uh, you can register on their website, playnormalesports.com. That has already started up. And they're going to be trying to gradually reopen some other times for people to come in, too take the right precautions, make sure people are distanced appropriately. So, um, Please consider registering for that day camp, 10 to 5, Monday to Friday. Um, And also just check online for all the other things that they have going on. And Normal Gadgets is still open as well. And go get your any of your broken appliances, um, phones, computers, tablets, video gaming systems. Bring them in. They can take a look. They can probably get your gadgets back to normal again. All right, Steve, Justin, thanks for the talk. Very fun. No problem, man. Be well. All right. See you guys. Thanks. Thanks.